You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Just a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we could produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, at Podmania, YouTube, and Instagram, at The Real Podmania. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at www.podmania.weebly.com. Let's do this. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, the five count where we take all things wrestling and depending on how optimistic or negative we feel about wrestling, we count them down from best to worst or from worst to best. I'm joined once again by Garth. How are you, my friend? Good, good, good. How are you, man? Yeah, not too bad. Sweltering in this heat, but then again, typical British fashion. I moan when it's too hot. I moan when it's too cold. So, you know, we can't complain at the fact that we've got some decent weather finally. Um, But today, Garth, we are talking about finishing moves. And we live in a world at the moment where every wrestler has seemingly got an absolutely outstanding finishing move. Um, And in today's society, every wrestler seems to be pushing themselves to create this iconic finisher. I think you'll agree. So what we've done today, ladies and gentlemen, is we have compiled a list of the 10 best finishing moves. Now, there's a little disclaimer here. You are going to disagree with some of these without a (laughs) shadow of a doubt, and you're probably going to tell us we're wrong, which is absolutely fine. But this list, we've called it the best, but it's subjective. Uh, Our best. Yes, exactly. Our best, collectively. Um, Of course, we've got honourable mentions, um, and... We've just gone for the some that are extremely impactful, some that are just just iconic, and some that no list, including finishing moves, can possibly omit. So we're going to jump straight in, Garth. I think that's probably the best. So starting with number 10, and this is a modern finisher, still used by a wrestler today, and it is Ember Moon's Eclipse. Um, I think I speak for everyone when I say... This is an absolutely beautiful move to watch. Yeah, um, definitely. When you see it slowed down and you watch the motion and how she hits it, it's just an absolutely beautiful move. And when you've got this character of Ember Moon and it is built almost solely around this finishing move, as it was leading up to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3, mm-hmm. I think, where nobody kicked out of it. It was this impenetrable move that if she hits it she has won and then Oscar kicked out of it um you know then she's obviously she's moved up to the main roster um after WrestleMania and she's hit two of them one on Alexa Bliss and one on Mickey James um on the latest edition of Raw and honestly I think Mickey James deserves an Emmy for <laughs> her absolutely outstanding selling of the move if you haven't seen it please do it is incredible but I would argue that this move is the most unique I've seen in the WWE in years. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with wrestling becoming, you know, people becoming more aware of different promotions, which is a good thing for wrestling as a whole and definitely a good thing for wrestling fans. Um, but we are getting less and less unique moves. You know, we're getting everyone doing a super kick. That's it, yeah. You know, it's no longer... Super kick, it's not even a transitional move anymore. It's like a, it's just like a, a strike. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at the DDT, look at the powerbomb. You know, everyone uses them now, and they're so diluted now that when something truly unique comes, you know, such as Ember Moon ascending to the top rope and hitting a corkscrew stunner from the top rope, you know... It's just, it's a thing that you can't ignore. It really is an amazing move. And it does make you jump out of your seat and go, oh, yeah. holy shit. And nobody, that is amazing. nobody anywhere else I can think of uses it like that. I've never seen it before. I've mm. never seen it before. But I have decided, Garth, that when I do become a wrestler, not if, <laughs> it's when, um, I am going to adopt the Eclipse as my finishing move. Um, <laughs> as my as my core does on WWE 2K18. Um, but this one was uh, <laughs> this is this was one we added at the end after we discussed after we discussed the list and um, I was watching Raw at the time or the replay of Raw and watched Ember Moon hit this eclipse and you know Alexa Bliss sold it beautifully 
and it was just hit so perfectly. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the storyline as well when Ember Moon was still in NXT, when you know she was hitting these moves and they were injuring people. And obviously kayfabe, obviously, um, but obviously they'd taken Billy Kay out in the ring and she had to be stretched out with a neck brace on. You know, she'd injured people in the performance center. It was it just re- really built this move as, yeah. holy shit, this thing is massive. Um, it's good to get like a modern one in there as well because obviously you've got the tried and tested moves. That yeah. Looking at, uh, looking at our list, it's mm-hmm. potentially not that modern. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's... Some of these moves are 20, 30 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, especially one that's coming up in a couple of minutes. It's paved the way for finishers now, but it's, for me, it's nowhere near as impactful, yeah. um, which we'll yeah. get into in a minute. But number 10 is the Eclipse. And if you haven't ever seen Ember move hit it, you need to. It is an absolutely beautiful move. Uh, number nine, uh, we are going into the Choke Slam. And. <laughs> Some people might argue, well, you've just had a, you've just said about transitional moves. Baron Corbin uses that as a transitional move. A, shut up, it's our list. And B, okay, we are talking about two very, very specific chokeslams. Yeah. Okay, we are talking about Kane, and we are talking about Undertaker's chokeslams. No matter who has hit a chokeslam, whether it be Baron Corbin, whether it be whoever in New Japan Pro Wrestling, nobody has made it their own move as much as Kane and The Undertaker did during the Attitude Era. Definitely. Um, it's, it's just, it's a move that until, well, under, I mean, Undertaker didn't start really using it until Kane came in. No. And then when Kane came in, and it was really the first time I'd probably seen that move used, and it was absolutely brutal. Like, the height that he used to get, and slamming them down on the ground, and nobody ever got up off it. It was just... I don't know. It was just totally again, like 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 the the eclipse. It was just totally unique at the time. It was, and it really did showcase the strength of Kane and Undertaker because, as mm-hmm. you say, the height that they used to get on them was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when you're getting people like the Big Show or A Train or you know some of the heavier superstars, yeah, up. You know, I watched um, Armageddon 2000 again not so long ago. <laughs> And you know you're watching Undertaker Tombstone, Rikishi, uh, sorry, not Tombstone, Chokeslam, Rikishi. Yeah. And Rikishi's not a thin man. He's not a light man. So to you know, it really does build on the strength of these two characters. And you, at the time, you wanted them to be these absolute beasts. Yeah. And sure, you know, you can argue that, especially towards the end of both of their better runs. I know both are still wrestling now, but I don't think we can really call this their golden years. Um. <laughs> But during the heyday of Kane and Undertaker, as that sort of neared the end, the Chokesam was less and less impactful as Kane obviously, yeah. you know, started using the Tombstone more and Undertaker started using the Last Ride, Tombstone, Hell's Gate. You People know. started sort of reversing out of it quite a lot as well. Yeah, and possibly my favourite reversal ever of a Chokeslam was uh, during the WrestleMania match between Randy Orton and Undertaker, when Undertaker lifts him up for a chokeslam and Randy Orton hits the RKO, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. It's literally poetry in motion. It's just it's beautiful to watch. Um, but yeah, so number nine, perhaps not as impactful or even iconic as some of the other entries on this list, but for the sheer... for how it sort of... it was perfect for their characters... Yeah. And, you know, when they first started using them, so few people had used it at the time. It was unique. So there we go. Number yeah. nine, Kane and the Undertaker's Chokeslam. <laughs> Moving on. And there is a reason this is in. Number eight, we've got Sweet Chin Music from Shawn Michaels. <laughs> um, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast will agree that the super kick at the moment, or the thrust kick, depending on who you are, is possibly the most overused move in the history of wrestling. And that's <laughs> just the young bucks. Um, it's like what uh, the big boot was in the Attitude Era. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was it's, doing the big boot. 
Everyone was doing it, exactly. And now, you know, you've got Adam Cole, you've got Dolph Ziggler, you've got the Young Bucks, you've got, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people hitting the super kick. And yes, it certainly has diluted it, especially as it is now just a transitional move. No one uses it as their finisher. Dolph Ziggler did for a brief flurry early on in 2016 when he became the number one contender. But here, Sweet Chin Music was the start of all that. It was the predecessor for all these super kicks. And Shawn Michaels' um, super kick. It was perfect for his character. It really, really was. Especially when he was standing there tuning up the band. Is there <laughs> anything more iconic than Shawn Michaels stamping his foot, yeah. ready to hit someone with a super kick? And you're right, it did suit his character so well. One of the most iconic moments of wrestling is Shawn Michaels super kicking Martin Gennetti. Marty Gennetti. <laughs> so still still hurts to this day. <laughs> so I suppose was, you live through like, it, yeah. It was like a dagger in the heart, that <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean it was it was a very heel move. And you know, it's a very, very simple move. It's literally just a kick in the face. Um, but as a move, it was incredibly impactful. Incredibly so. You know, when he hit it, especially later on in his career, he hit it from so many different places. Yeah. I mean, that one where Shelton Benjamin uh, springboarded from the ropes and <laughs> Sean caught him with the super kick. It was just incredible. The crowd popped huge. And Sean didn't overuse it, which was a big thing. Yeah. You know, I think, especially nowadays in... You know, we are living in the society of superkick parties. It's it's used a lot. You know, New Japan, it's used six, seven, maybe even eight times a match. But Sean would use it once and that would be it. Yeah. And because no one else really used it, it was special. And I think that, unfortunately, now... You know, I love the Young Bucks. I will quickly put that on record. I have no problem at all with them using it. But... I just think it's diluted the legacy of it somewhat, which is why it's so low on this list. Yeah. Still just like, it's just synonymous with HBK and the whole, especially in his younger years where he was dancing and he was sort of posing and things like that. Oh, yeah. I just him standing in the corner, hit, hitting his leg, stamping, just it, just, it was all like grandeur. And it just fed into that whole sort of, just like feeling that sort of, he was always building up to something. Yeah. I mean, just such a good move. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. You know, number eight, Shawn Michaels, sweet chin music. Great move. Perhaps a little diluted now, but, you know, it lives on through Shawn, definitely. Number seven, and this is you, isn't it? Yeah. This yeah. is, uh, this is all you. So we've got number seven, and it's the Razor's. Edge, talk me through it, Garth. Why did you want this on the list? It's another one, though. That it's another one that was just the, the first time I saw it. I just thought I've never seen anything like this before. Um, you'd seen maybe somebody get put up in like the rack and then thrown to the side, but never like as a power bomb and like sort of moved forward and thrown down into the mat. It just looked absolutely killer. Um, and when it was coming from somebody like Razor, who was quite a big guy. And he was picking up big guys as well. Um, I just, it, I don't know, I've just always loved that move. And then, like, I, I loved it when Sheamus was using it. For, like, that brief little time that he had it. And then he stopped. The I, Celtic I'm, Cross, I think he called yes, it, didn't he? I'm guessing it's because he couldn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, there <laughs> is that. <laughs> he couldn't. Because, I mean, it must take an unbelievable amount of strength to be able to get them up to that position. And I'm guessing there's quite a lot of sort of things can go wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're right, because to have someone in that position, you know, behind your head, holding them up by their underarms effectively before slamming yeah. them down, you know, it does require a ridiculous amount of strength. And Razor, I noticed this while we watched WrestleMania 10 for one of our retro pay-per-view shows. I noticed for the first time just how deceptively tall he is. 
yeah. Because genuinely, I'd never seen or never noticed anyway just how tall Razor was. And I don't know if it's because he's always standing with um, Kevin, Kevin Nash, Nash. <laughs> who is an enormous man. Um, but Razor is absolutely massive. So to be held up in that sort of Christ-like position, you know, from, I mean, what must Razor be? Six, six, four? At least, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, put up higher, so 6'6", six, six, and then to fall from that position must be, you know, must on, be incredibly painful sort of, to take. It's on your sort of the back of your shoulders. Sort of exactly, neck. exactly. And this is a move that not many people have attempted to emulate. You I mean, you've got Seamus doing the Celtic cross and Roman Reigns. Um, I haven't seen him use it particularly recently, but I know he went through a sp- uh, what's mm. it of doing it as well or a variation of it. And it's good to see... I, know, I mean, I know Scott Hall used it in the NWO as the outsider's edge. Yeah. But, you know, the Razor's Edge is the iconic one. The Razor's Edge a, is the one that the people remember. It's such a good name for it as well. Obviously, oh, yeah. Razor and Moore. And, and, and it was one, another one of those ones where not many people ever kicked out of it. Well, there was a little story only, that... And he used it very, very sort of sparingly. Yeah, and that is where a finishing move needs to happen. And again... Mm-hmm. I understand that watching wrestling at the moment is completely different because we want those fast-paced matches. We want the close two counts. We want the excitement. you know. But because we want that, we're also diluting the impact of finishers. You know, people are kicking out of a phenomenal forearm, two phenomenal forearms, you know, and a styles clash in one match. Whereas Razor Ramon would use one Razor's Edge and that would be it. And of course, there's yeah. a story that Scott Hall said that if he was due to use a match, he refused to use the razor's edge. Which, you know, fair enough. A finishing move should be a move to finish a match. Yeah. You know, it should be what it says on the tin, effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was an absolutely amazing move that more often than not finished matches. Mm -hmm. Um, So I agree. When you said you wanted this on the list, I, you know... I didn't really hesitate in agreeing to put it on there. It's a fantastic move. It's iconic of that era, definitely. And it's synonymous with a wrestler that, yeah. you know, it's got a legacy. I think that's an important part of a finisher is if it's synonymous with, say, one or two people and yeah. they've made it special rather than if it's 15 other wrestlers are using it and, again, like you say, diluting it. Well, yeah. I mean, if you compare uh, the Razor's Edge you know, to the spear. Yeah. The razor's edge is synonymous with Razor Ramon. You know yeah. it as used by Scott Hall and Razor Ramon. If mm-hmm. I said the word spear to you, okay, I guarantee you would say Goldberg. Goldberg, Edge. Roman Reigns. Rhino. <laughs> Batista. Yeah. Bobby Lashley. You know, of all used the spear and of all sort of claimed it as their own finishing move. I mean, Edges was shit. Yeah. <laughs> Edges was literally cuddle and then just slowly lower them to the canvas. But, you know, what I'm saying is that it's nice to have a move that was synonymous with you. You know, it was your finishing move. You know, even the powerbomb in the 1990s, you'd got Diesel and Sid Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, Psycho Sid, whatever you want to call him. Both of them used it. So even then it wasn't synonymous with either of them. But... The razor's edge will always be Razor Ramon's move, and you know, good. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, because I doubt anyone will pull it off as well as Razor Ramon. <laughs> Moving on now, and we are racing through these quite quickly. But number six, we've talked about the spear, we've talked about Goldberg. What about the jackhammer? Um, I was unfortunate enough to be fairly young during the Monday Night Wars. Um. <laughs> especially the first part of Goldberg's ridiculously iconic unbeaten streak, even if it was slightly embellished. Um, But the jackhammer, again, bar Kitamura in New Japan, I don't know anyone really that uses the jackhammer. No, not not like that. No, and to combine it with a move like Goldberg did. And, you know, you look at the people he managed to get up in the jackhammer 
and hold them there, especially in his younger WCW days, oh, the yeah. people he was able to hold in that position for that length Vader. of time. <laughs> yeah, Vader, Kevin Nash, Hogan. You know, big guys he was able to hold up for so long was just an unbelievable indictment of his strength. It really was. I mean, in his second run in the WWE, you know, he was still holding Brock Lesnar and Kevin Owens up. Yeah. You know, and that was a move that nobody kicked out of. You were hit with a jackhammer, bang, that was it. Because Goldberg's style was literally 10-second ma- uh, yeah. matches. You know, two, two minutes th- max. Two, three moves, done. And didn't need to be anything else. No. Goldberg that's what, could not wrestle. That's what, I think that's why everybody loved it. Because he just came out, kicked kicked ass, did his moves, shouted a bit and then went. And yeah. then it allowed everybody else to have matches. And he just came out as a big attraction. Exactly, exactly. And the jackhammer was, it's its sort of two moves in one. So it's like a sort of stalled suplex and power slam at the same time. It's its like Braun Strowman's running power slam on heat. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the amazing. He holds them with one arm, spins around, and then slams them. It's, it's such a good move. Such a quick move as well. Exactly. And we've talked already, you know, we're on number six, but we've talked already about impact of a move. You want impact of a move, that is the move. Oh, yeah. That is the move that you think, holy shit. You know, especially after Goldberg hits his spear, which, for me, is the best spear. You know, it's better than Reigns, it's better than Lashley, it's better than Batista, it's better than Edge. You know, after being hit by that, and then to be lifted up, held there with all the blood rushing to your head in this absolutely booming vertical suplex, and then to be slammed with a running power slam, absolutely devastating. And the fact that nobody kicked out of it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, WrestleMania 33, Brock Lesnar could have kicked out of one. I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. But even so, barely anybody kicked out of it. You know, that was a finish. And And again, it's another one that's sort of synonymous with one person. Oh, God, yeah. You say Jack Hammer, you don't think Kitamura. You know, you think Goldberg, you think big, muscly, shouty man mm-hmm. with no hair and a lot of anger. <laughs> you know, he was, even when he came to the WWE in his first, you know, his, his relatively disappointing first run. I say relatively disappointing. He still won a championship, but he was still yeah. extremely disappointed, especially after WrestleMania 20. <laughs> um, but that move still transitioned so well into the WWE. You know, and it's still nobody kicked out of it, yeah, which surprised good. me because you'd assume Triple H would. But you know, <laughs> there you go. But look what I've done here, Garth, because number five yeah. is the pedigree. Now, just look at how I've said. How good am I getting at these? <laughs> these segues are absolutely flawless. Um, we're going to have to try and get them in now into every single one to see if we can make them really, really shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, number five, the pedigree. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H. Um, Now, this has been used by a couple of people. Uh, It's been used by Seth Rollins. It's been used by Stephanie McMahon uh, to to great effect. Um, I think you'll all agree. Um, (laughs) But pedigree, you think Triple H. Yeah, Um, every time. You think the amount of people that Triple H has buried with that pedigree. Um, But again, you know, aside from that, this move was Triple H all the way through. Yeah, you know he it. never changed his finishing move, even when he was um, the Connecticut Blue Blood, which was a terrible gimmick. Um, <laughs> and you know he fought Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 12. You know, kick the shell, kick the shit out of him. He kicked out of a um, ped. Well, he just stood up straight after a pedigree, almost yeah. buried the move. And then you look <laughs> ten years on. And the pedigree is the most devastating move in the history of the world. Yeah. You know, who'd have thought that, you know, sticking someone's head between your legs and slamming it into the canvas would hurt so much? <laughs> um, I mean, some would argue that 
this move is responsible for some of wrestling's most famous burials. You know, and I'm talking about Booker T. Yeah. Where? Yeah, but, but as a move, it's as a perfect. move, and especially just... in during the Reign of Terror, which so many people call it. You know, this was the decisive move. It happened. You lost. It was a stamp. It was just a stamp on the match. It was. Like... It was also. It was almost a a smug sort of arrogance thing which suited Triple H's character down to the ground from when he was the Connecticut Blue Blood all the way through to now, this well, moment the, right now. It's the way, depending on the situation, he would hit it differently. So if he was up on the match and he was quite sort of ahead, he would hold their arms up and look around and then do the move. Whereas yeah. if he was struggling, he would just do it really quickly and it's one of it's a weird it's a move that I know it sounds a bit wanky, but it had like a sort of its own personality, depending on how he was he was hitting it. Like if it was sort of the lethargic way he was hitting it, if he was like really beat up after the match, he could do it and then they would kick out. It's just I don't know. It it always seemed to me like uh, there was there was like four or five different variations of the same move. You're right. That does sound wanky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but you're right. You know. Triple H would either have, you know, the grandiose waiting, looking round at the crowd with their arms pinned up, or he would have that quick one. I mean, I always remember him hitting it on Kurt Angle, you know, in 2001. You know, hitting that really, really quick one. And it had a really good impact on the match, you know. And it was good to see that Triple H, depending on how he was in the match, depending on if, like you say, he was up in the match or if he was down the match, the move changed. There was almost desperation in it. Yeah. Which sometimes he would sort of do it and just fall. And sometimes he would jump and they sort of they would almost go like literally head first where their legs would go above where their head was. Yeah. And it'd be that high up in the air. Yeah. And, you know, who could forget that Triple H did perform this uh, pedigree on Stephanie McMahon on <laughs> on an announce table when her tit fell out. So, you know, <laughs> it's had its own little it's got its own little legacy. Which is lovely. Um, But again, similar to number seven, number six, this move is, nobody else has even tried to emulate it because it's Triple H's move. It was made so popular during his reign of terror from, you know, probably from 2003 onwards, 2002 onwards. You know, nobody else was going to use that. And it was even used in a storyline with Seth Rollins, which I really, really enjoyed, where, you know, come the culmination of that, that bubbling feud that they had at mm. WrestleMania 33, Seth refused to win with a pedigree, which he'd yeah. adopted as his finisher. Which, you know, if a finishing move is being used in a storyline, it's obviously good. It's obviously got it's obviously an impactful move. Yeah, because it has that sort of sort of like it had been passed down. Yeah. Which I like. I think that's good. They should they should do that more often, I think. Like Legends passing down a move. Well, one of our so, honourable mentions actually has done that. Yeah, it's so because it's so powerful and it's you know, I think that should happen. It's quite. I think that's always a, like a good story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, there's actually one move um, in our honourable mentions that's been passed on to two people. I think. So yeah. you know, absolutely, it should be. It should have that again legacy that it's yeah. been passed on to several superstars at you know, the behest of the person who invented it or the person who popularised it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I do like seeing that, definitely. But there are some moves where it just it's not possible because it's it's just too synonymous with a character. <laughs> and number four, Jesus Christ, nobody is copying this. <laughs> nobody is copying this. Segway again, Garth. Number four, <laughs> number four, the best tag team finisher in the history of tag teams um, is the Doomsday Device. Yeah. And devastating. this move is just, it's so simple, it's so devastating, and nobody kicks out of it. You know, yeah, this never. is the finishing move. The finishing move. Um, you know, to have Animal, who, I mean, both of the Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors or whatever you call them, are the relatively small men. 
But <laughs> to have you sat on animals' shoulders and to look into the, quite frankly, terrifyingly angry eyes of Hawk, who's standing on the top rope, and then he just clotheslines you off the top, and you topple, because there's no support there. No, there's no way you can control how you land. You know... Depends how hard he wants to hit you. Exactly. Depends on what he likes you. But the stories about so many people who didn't want to take the move, because A, it fucking hurt, <laughs> and B, because they just hadn't got a way of landing. They didn't know how they were going to land, because, again, it depended on how hard Hawk hit you. It depended on the weight of the superstar. It was, honestly, though... As a spectator, what a move! That was brilliant. There was, so, I mean, there's sometimes you would see it on when they used to do like, um, you know, like on superstars who do like the jobbers matches, and you would they would hit these sort of skinny sort of rookies, and they would spin about four times in the air before hitting the mat because Hawk would hit them so hard, <laughs> just like nah, take that like, bastard. Enough, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean. Never really, just hit my mic, sorry about that, guys. Um, never with, you know, and definitely not to the same extent, but you've got the Dudleys and the 3D. For me, there is no other tag team move that is as impactful and as well-known as the Doomsday Device. Yeah. This was effectively, for me anyway, the most iconic finisher for any tag team. Yeah, definitely. You know, you've got the heart attack, obviously, which is also a really good move. But, you know, the Doomsday device is just... It was the first time a tag team had come up with this this move and just made it their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were so... It was, it was theirs. And honestly, just a fantastic move. And, and again, I don't, I don't think anyone's ever really used it again. How could you? I mean, I know in New Japan... At the moment, Cody and Hangman Page are using sort of a variation of a Doomsday device where Hangman Page has them up on his shoulders and Cody drop kicks them off. Right, okay. But, you know, if he'd even attempt to clothesline them, you know, you just automatically see Hawk and Animal, don't you? Yeah. There's no way you can even pretend it's not the Legion of Doom. Um, I mean, there's a story of... One of my favourite stories, and I don't know where I've heard this, um, but Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon took everyone out in the nineties uh, to a strip club, obviously, and <laughs> he got really drunk and said to Hawk and Animal that he wanted to take the Doomsday Device, like in the middle of a strip club, as you do, <laughs> um, and <laughs> Animal and Hawk just looked at each other and went, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> oh, but Vince is Vince, you know, he's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> um, so it was like no do it so Animal got him up and Hawk jumped and apparently it was the most gentle love tap ever <laughs> and Vince sort of fell down and Hawk apparently Animal proper helped him down but also at this place was Jim Neidhart and Bret Hart who <laughs> said God. that basically they'd pussied out of you know giving him a proper doomsday device so they offered to give Vince a heart attack the move <laughs> not, a, not a real heart attack um, the move in the strip club, and apparently fucking battered the shit out of him with it. <laughs> Proper stiffed him with it. Um, but Vince was drunk, loved it, because we all know Vince loves roughhousing, because Vince is made yeah. of 50% machine and 50% lunacy. So, <laughs> you know. That's brilliant. If Vince McMahon wants to take your finisher, you know it's a fucking good one. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, this it's is a really that we still talk about God knows how many years later, so... What? And I mean, how when did the stop? Like as Hawk and Animal have stopped, sort of late nineties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, when did Hawk die? Was it ninety? Um, late nineties, I think. Two thousands. I thought it was late nineties. You was could it? be right. And well, I know that Animal carried on because he had such, you know, fantastic <laughs> tag team partners such as Heidenreich. Um, LOD two thousand. Oh fucking hell! Jesus Christ. A little part of me died then when you said that. Yeah. Just a little part of me. I um, remember seeing it and thinking, what the fuck is this? Yes. <laughs> I also we all remember that. We all remember that. Um I think it's best we move on from the Doomsday yes. Device because, you know, after reliving such fond memories and fond 
you know, thoughts about the Doomsday device to then sully it with Heidenreich's name is a bit of a shame. <laughs> but moving on now to the top three. And these three are a variety of just iconic, historical, impactful, you know, synonymous with a character. We've got all of it in these top three. Um, number three is the RKO slash Diamond Cutter. Um, I mean, if I was to choose out of the two, I would say that the RKO is better. Yeah, um, I, think, I think Randy sort of made it a bit more of a power move, like a, has a bit more to it. Randy has built an entire career on this move. Yeah. I mean... DDP's was more like he just fell with them. Yeah. And the thing I love about any type of cutter, but especially the RKO, is that it can be, you know, sorry for the cliche, it can be hit out of nowhere. Yeah. And it adds such a, diff- a different dimension to a Randy Orton match who, you know, for the most part is a fairly generic worker. You know, there's nothing... Mm-hmm. Take the RKO out of Randy Orton's arsenal. And yes, I know he's a very decorated champion. He's, you know, going to be a Hall of Fame headliner. But take his RKO out of the equation, and it's a very boring, boring Randy Orton, you know, especially yeah. nowadays. But you look at what an RKO was bought to matches. I spoke earlier about how Undertaker had attempted to choke slam Randy Orton, and he caught him with an RKO. Wonderful, you know. You look at um, WrestleMania 31 when Seth was going for a curb stomp, yeah. went for the curb stomp. Randy Orton lifted his head up and RKO'd him on his way back down. Holy shit, that, that sent an the... entire stadium mental. Yeah, that's on the best uses of that move ever. I mean, if you can use it, transitioning out of another person's finisher, it, then it's incredible. I mean, both of those aside, which are incredible uses of the, uses of the move, you know, you look at that Evan Bourne one, you know, which is iconic now. Mm. You know, he goes for... Um, Airborne, which is move, which is basically a shooting star press. As he goes for the shooting star press, he's in midair, and Randy Orton gets up and RKO's him. It's absolutely insane the timing and just how he manages to catch him perfectly is just absolutely amazing. Um, and it seems it seems to be one of those moves you can you see and pull off anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't that add a different dimension to yeah. a match? I mean, I, I always remember when Randy Orton sort of first started coming in, he was doing the whole legend killer thing. Yeah. And he was doing it, he would just be off camera and he would just fly on camera and do it over like a car bonnet or under a table or it's all just, sorts of yeah, stuff. It's perfect. And unfortunately, nowadays, Randy Orton is a very, very one trick pony. Yeah. It's a case it's of generic. when is he going to hit the RKO? Because that is his thing. Which is a shame because, it again, it's diluting the move, which we don't want, especially when it's as good as the fucking RKO is. <laughs> but, you know, if you can garner a, a career, especially this late on now, you know, a WWE Championship run based on this fucking move, then it's got to be good. It's got to be good. And it has. I mean, to a, to a different extent, DDP's Diamond Cutter... He couldn't really hit it out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but it was still impactful. Um, it, was, it was brand new when he was using it as well. Exactly. It was certainly a prelude to the RKO. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anything that's going to give us an RKO, you know, give us an RKO as wrestling fans now, perfect. But again, if if a move is going to give way to an absolute stream of internet memes, you know, then it... <laughs> If it permeates, you know, cult, you know, other culture, you know, that, on the yeah. World Wide Web, then, you know, it's got to be in our top ten list. It I love really seeing has. those videos. They're fantastic, fantastic. Just people falling over and then just Randy Orton just superimposed in. Absolutely yes. perfect. <laughs> it really is perfect. Um, moving on to number two now, and this is the Tombstone Piledriver, more specifically, Undertakers. Tombstone power driver. Yes, we know Kane uses it, not to the same extent, and certainly not as iconically as The Undertaker does. Um, we talk about characters in wrestling. We talk about how moves um, 
need to sort of be part of the character or sort of incorporated into the character. Yeah. I doubt that any move on this list is as perfectly in character for The Undertaker than a Tombstone Power Driver. And you look at any other move, none of them are like the Tombstone yeah. in that way. You know, none of them it's fit a, a character as well as the Tombstone fits the Undertaker. It's well, it's, it's everything, isn't it? It's the, it's the, the well, the name <laughs> for a start. Um, but the way it lands, the way he lands on them, and he's at the head, and he crosses their arms like he's just buried them. The theatrics included in yeah. this move make it so much more than it is, and it just it. You're right, it's just the impact of it, the theatrics of it, everything just makes it perfect for The Undertaker. And sure, it's not an RKO, so it's not as surprise, but The Undertaker hits it and you think, well, that's it. And you are genuinely surprised if someone kicks out of it. Now, you know, we look later on into Undertaker's career and people seem to kick out of the tombstone for fun. Um, But, you know, looking at early 2000s, you know, before Big Evil. You know, you're looking at when he first came back as the dead man. Yeah. No one kicked out of it. No one kicked out of it. It ended matches. And to have, you know, its own signature pin motion, if you like, you know, again, crossing the arms over, the tongue out, the eyes in the back of the head. If it has its own iconic pin gesture as well, then... Jesus Christ, it deserves to be on this list. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sheer longevity, it needs to be on this list. You know, for God's sake, it's been broken out of WrestleMania 34. (laughs) You know, hitting John Cena with it. Yeah. And again, it's another move that nobody else is doing. It's not... I mean, if, if, say, somebody in New Japan or Ring of Honor or something like that did that move... It will get called the Tombstone Pile Driver. It does. Okada uses it. Well, there you go. But he does a sort of spinning one. But his is di- I was going to say his is sort of slightly. But again, it's move. it's not Okada's move. You don't think, yeah. oh, that's that that's just Okada, isn't it? No, you think shit. Tombstone Power Driver because but, of the Undertaker. Because he's a fan of the Undertaker. Exactly. Probably. It's a move that the Undertaker, you know, made famous. You know, it's and, Undertaker's move. And when he first started doing it, again, like so many on this list, it was like. Holy shit, where's that come from? I think for me as well, The Undertaker went through a spate of using so many different fucking finishers. Yeah. You know, he had the chokeslam. Then last he had ride. the last ride. Then he had Hell's Gate. But he always, always, always reverted back to the Tombstone Power Driver. That was yeah. always the one that finished match. That was all that was always the one that sort of when he couldn't put anyone else down or when he couldn't when someone just kept getting back up, that was the one he'd that mm. was you knew that was it. Oh shit, he's bringing out the big guns. That's so it. That, there was that period when he was using Hell's, Hell's Gate and things where he only ever seemed to pull out the tombstone for like, the big matches. Yeah. Where he really had to sort of dig in. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's it's almost a move of, right, I'm going to try and use everything. I've got one thing left. If this does not work, I've got nothing left. One and... of my favourite ones was when he did a the sort of flip with um, Shawn Michaels. I yeah. think it was in the Elimination Chamber. It was some sort of cage match where they just sort of was it. He was sort of on the outside and he tried to get him back in the ring. I can't really remember, but I remember Undertaker was on the receiving end and then he just sort of flipped it. Yeah, and then landed the tombstone. It was just such a good reversal. It's still a move that gets a massive pop nowadays, and I know that. I know that there are some, you know, tombstones now where, with the use of internet, there's pauses and things, and you can mm. see just how just how much space there is between the head and the canvas, yeah. which sort of ruins the magic somewhat. But it's still almost, with the exception of number one, it is the iconic WWE move, mm-hmm. you know. And again, I go back to super kicks. You think super kick, you can think of so many people. You think of spear, you can think of so many people that use it. Tombstone, it's Undertaker. Yeah. And it is Undertaker's finishing move. It finished so many matches. 
sure people kick out of it sometimes, but it is the finishing move. And yeah. for me, even with number one taken into account, this was more of a finisher for me. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Because um, it wasn't just pulled out everywhere. No, but that was that was part of the joy of number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into number one, which I'm sure you've guessed what it is anyway, because how can it not be? Um, we're just going to look at a few uh, honourable mentions, shall we say. And the first one is <laughs> the leg drop. Hulk Hogan's leg drop. <laughs> Why is it not on the list? Well, um, because it's shit. Looking back on it now, from 2018's point of view, you look at it and you think, holy shit, that's a bag of shit. Um it's a very, very slow, plodding move that, to be perfectly honest, doesn't look like it should finish off people like Andre the Giant um, or Randy Savage. Um, but I think the fanfare and Hulkamania and the way that the commentary team sort of built this move certainly gave it an undeserved title of one of the greatest finishers. I, I still like it. I still see on the other side of it. I always, I always used to think. This is a guy who's what three something hundred pounds, yeah. two three hundred pounds, and he's got his full body weight coming down over your throat with his leg. And I know he's not because it's the back of his knee, but the way I always thought of it was he's basically choking you with his leg. Yeah, and you um, know, and obviously it's Hulk Hogan, and I think that's again, more. That's more again, what another, it is. It's another thing that. It's Hulk Hogan's move. It is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, so many people use it and it's a transitional move now, but you still no, look at it, it and think, Hogan. I mean, now Undertaker Jack's used uses to, it. Undertaker used to do a really good leg drop. Yeah, but you'd st- you don't associate it with Undertaker. You associate it instantly with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And that's what we mean about these iconic moves. Some of the iconic moves, I mean, look at The Rock's moves, for God's sake. His moveset's diabolical. Oh, it's terrible. It's awful, but you look at the people's it's, elbow, people still pop massively for it. It's, it's wank. The fa- it's the whole, again, it's the whole theatrics. Exactly. Hulk Hogan, you know, it's not just the leg drop, is it? It's the whole, someone hits him, he hulks up. Hulks up. You know, he <laughs> channels his inner Hulkamaniac and then he big boots and leg drop. But mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, looking at it as solely as a finisher, that should not finish matches. Yeah. But, Nobody kicked out of it, unless it was a botch, like WrestleMania 8. Um, you know, it just, nobody kicked out of it, really. And, you know, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, it was the finishing move, with perhaps the exception of Randy Savage's elbow, which, again, could be on this list, for the apart from the fact that every, every person uses that elbow now. Everyone. Yeah. And that is and a transitional move. Yeah. Which is a shame. But yeah, Hogan's leg drop, honourable mention. Second honourable mention for me, Jake the Snake Roberts' DDT. Definitely. And Best DDT in the business. Without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. He did it with such... It wasn't even the move. It was the look on his face when he did the move. Yeah. It was just a just this calm, almost emotionless face as he drove your head into that canvas. You knew that he was Stop. doing everything yeah. he could to make it hurt as much with as possible. With the slap on the back. Yeah. He always did that slap on the back. That iconic slap on the back, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's just... And the reason that we didn't include it on this list, and again, all of these honourable mentions we could quite easily have included, um, is because just so many people use it as a transitional yeah. move. You know, Alexa Bliss uses it. as a Yeah, she uses it as a finisher now. She didn't before. You know, so many people use different variations. You've got the Tornado DDT, you've got Slingshot DDT, you've got Springboard DDT that people use and people kick out of on a regular basis. And it sort of doesn't do justice to how Jake used it in the 80s and 90s. Because when Jake did it, um, that was it. Like, uh, GR brings it up constantly. Yeah. If you ever listen to his podcast, (laughs) it drives him wild. Yeah, it it shouldn't be used as a transitional move. And this is the one more than Randy Savage's elbow, which I mentioned earlier, this is the one that sort of it has been diluted by wrestling today. Yeah. 
you know, even Four. people DDT'd onto a chair kick out. What the yeah. absolute fuck? I mean, Jake it's... must look at it and go, what the hell? I suppose, I mean, I suppose Dean Ambrose, his is sort of a, like a modified DDT. Yeah, CNL Mass uses the Hamelock DDT, so that's, yeah. you know, something, I suppose. And that Maybe is, it's that is good. But, yeah, unfortunately, it has been diluted. But Jake's, you look back at it, you know, even now on the network, it's still brilliant. And, you know, it is a fantastic finishing move. Um, Ric Flair's figure four leg lock. Yeah. You know, probably the submission move. <laughs> yeah, there's no, nothing to say other than it's Ric Flair's move. You know, never bar perhaps The Undertaker and the, you know, to a lesser extent, um, The Road Warriors. Never has a move been so synonymous with a person as Ric Flair and that figure four leg lock. Yeah. Especially in the 80s and 90s when he was hot, hot shit. You know, he mm-hmm. was WCW. He was the NWA. When he strapped that in, people looked legitimately in pain, looked in legitimate agony. And It's the way, it's the way he set it in as well. Yeah, and the look on his face, just that demonic sort of, you know, almost laughing, like, come on, oh, tap. Yeah. It he's, like the jo- he's like the Joker. Yeah, it was. Like a, manan- like a manacle grin. Yeah, and the fact that he lived his gimmick, you could see him living that move. You know, and yeah, you know, he's passed on this move to The Miz, who I don't think has ever, ever finished a match with the figure four leg lock. And I think he passed he- it on to um, Jay Lethal as well. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but again... I don't think about that when I think about the figure four leg lock. Mm. I think of Ric Flair, 80s and 90s, people tapping out repeatedly to that move. You know, just a tangle of legs, watching yeah. him basically yelling into the face of people, telling him to bloody tap out. It's it's, it's brilliant. always it always it, it's always uh, Flair and Sting. Yeah, absolutely. It always reminds us of Flair versus Sting all the time. And if a move, sort of makes you think of something like that, brings up a memory like that, then it's an iconic move. Surely. If it's bringing up memories, then, yeah, absolutely. It's got to be. The fact that, like, it's... I mean, boiling down it, boiling it down, it's just a simple submission. But the way he set it in, the way he would go halfway around, do a little shimmy or a little dance or something, then put the rest of it in, yeah, unless you just fall on his arse. That was the... Yeah, that was the... And then when he really wanted to set it in hard, he would sort of push it on his arms. Yeah, um, exactly. That's when you knew he was sort of... Just cinching it in. And it was just... And the best ones were where... Um, I can't remember which match it is. It's at one of the... It was in one... I think it was one of the... Um, Halloween Havocs or something where he's holding onto the rope and the referee can't see. And he's sort of... He's got the rope and he's got the move in and he's shaking his head up and down. He's, I think there's blood on his face. And that, to me, is just that that whole scene there is what the, the like his move was about. Desperation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just such a good, it's just a good move. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, looking at a few more honourable mentions, we can also talk about the Red Arrow, Neville's Red Arrow, which yeah. is just unbelievably beautiful. You know, no, I don't think there's been a single person who's kicked out of that. And I don't think I've ever seen him botch it. No. He is an extremely underrated talent. An extremely underrated talent. Um, And then, of course, for me as well, the lumbar check from Cedric Alexander. You Mm. know, an absolutely fantastic move. And that as well is so good because the person taking it often sells it so beautifully. Um, You know, it... It makes the move. And speaking of people selling to make a move, see what I'm doing here, Garth. Yes, Number yes. one in our list, it's the Stone Cold Stunner. Come on. Gotta be. It's got to be the Stone Cold Stunner. I mean, which one of you out there listening to this podcast has never wanted to walk into work, spray <laughs> your boss with milk, and then stunner him? Not one person listening to this podcast has not wanted to do that to a boss or to someone in a room at some point. Or it's... hasn't done it to, like, a younger sibling. Oh, yeah. Everyone has done it. Everyone <laughs> has done it. You know, you look at the mid-2000s, um, the early 2000s, 
everyone did two things. They wore Austin 316 shirts and they stunned the shit out of siblings. That was what they did. Middle finger. There was a wonderful, and this this for me is why it's number one on the list. There was a wonderful photo um, of Donald Trump when he was first um, when he was first sworn into office, and behind him was the entire McMahon family. You've got Vince and Linda, you've got Steph Trips and her oh, family, yeah, yeah. and you've got Shane and his family. And underneath it was a very very simple sentence. It said, "That moment you realise that Stone Cold Steve Austin has stunned forty eight percent of this room," <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> "Oh my god." Absolutely amazing. <laughs> and effectively, all it was was a jawbreaker. Yeah. But... It was the kick. It's the kick to it's the It's the cut. kick, the fingers, you know, the fact that he stunned physically everyone in that locker room. Everyone, everyone. is at a stunner at some point. You know, it didn't even end matches. The stunner yeah. very, very rarely ended a match. The, the stunner was used in promos, in... Uh, Backstage segments. Yeah, it was used to end interviews. I mean, this thing was... uh, It was just... It was a craze. It wasn't a finisher. It was a craze. And, you know... Linda Linda McMahon. Yeah, who sold it like... Oh, my God. Let's not even talk about that. Um, But, you know, he stunned Shane. He stunned The Rock, who... God, that's the best one ever. (laughs) His selling of the stunner... Is absolutely sensational. It's the one where he flips and hits the ropes and then comes back. Yeah, it's the, when he stands on his head. Yeah, just the theatrics the involved is absolutely amazing. And we talk about having a move associated with your character. Stone Cold Stunner. No one is using that because it no. is Stone Cold Steve Austin's move. People use the Stunner, but it's not the same. No, it's nowhere near the same. Nowhere near the same. You know, the kicks to the gut, you know, the middle fingers and the crowd pop when he does it. Yeah. You know. It, it was another one of those moves a bit like the pedigree where there was different variations where there was one way we would just do it. There was one way we would kick them in the gut and jump up in the air with them. There was one way we would fall down with them. There was just like loads of different versions. Yeah. It's a brilliant move. It's a brilliant move. And another one that permeated, you know, the outside world. You know, everyone knows what a stunner is. Everyone. I'm pretty sure if I asked my girlfriend, she'd know what a stunner is. You know, similar to the RKO, but the fact that this move was not just used in matches, and this this is a list of finishing moves, and this, more often than not, didn't finish a match. You know, loads of people have kicked out of the stunner, but... It's iconic. It's got such a legacy. It's just fantastic. It really, really is. And I, I, it's funny because when we were doing the list, I was going through the YouTube and just watching loads of sort of different clips of them all. Yeah. I must have watched about 100 stunners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not once are you bored watching them. Oh, not, not, not at all. Because Steve Austin's sort of theatrics around it his own love of it just adds so much to the move it really does even, even the one he hit recently where he hit um, Vince and Shane it was must have been the Raw 25th anniversary yeah uh, it was it was yeah and where he hit Shane and Shane sp- sort of spat the beer all out oh, just brilliant absolutely amazing but even when The Rock used it on Steve Austin <laughs> it's still a fantastic move yeah you know, it's still amazing. You know, no, but I can't see many other people you stealing each other's finishes nowadays. But it worked for those two, and yeah. it was it was oh, it was brilliant. No other move was treat. No other move has ever been treated the way the stunner has been treated. No, because it's sort of in a way it was just trick treaters. Not even like you say, not a finishing move. Like a sort of just. It was more like a. Promo piece? It was a full stop at the end of a sentence. Yeah. For Steve Austin, you know, have some of that. There you go. You know, he'd stunned four or five people in an interview segment. Yeah, and it was like, sometimes you would think, sometimes you would go in thinking he's going to stun these, and he wouldn't. You'd be genuinely disappointed as well. And then another time you you wouldn't expect it, and you would do it to someone, you're like, holy shit. (laughs) 
But there was some he would really, really ram hard as well, and you'd think, fucking hell, that's got to hurt. Yeah. Jesus. But, I mean, I can't think of a better number one for that list. And, no, you know. That was the first one that came to my head. Exactly. You think finishing move, you think the Stone Cold Stunner, you think Steve Austin, you think about people who've taken it. Scott Hall, underrated seller of the Stone Cold Stunner, by the <laughs> well, way. He, he does the jump in the air, doesn't just he? The, just the jump Starfish. in the air, I'm dead. Which is just fantastic. You know, The Rock again, absolutely wonderful seller. Linda McMahon, not so. Um, sort of a <laughs> collapsing. Crumbled. Vince McMahon sells it brilliantly as well. Vince McMahon, it's funny because when I was watching the videos, it said uh, um, the, the different stages of Vince McMahon and the stunner. And it like shows you through time how it gets less and less sort of theatrical. As he it? gets older and older. As he gets older, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the poor bloke. He's he's taken so many finishes in his time. <laughs> but there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is our podcast, our episode of the Five Count. Our top ten best finishing moves. I'm sure that we've missed some out. I'm sure that you'll be talking to us in the comments saying that we've missed such and such out. But please add some more to us. Tell us some of your favourite finishing moves. Talk to us on Twitter at AdPodMania. You can talk to me at, at RealRobGoodwin. Where can they find you, Garth? Uh, at at DrummerJackson. Uh, you can f- you can subscribe to the podcast <clears throat> absolutely anywhere now. iTunes, we're on CastBox now for you Android lovers. We're on iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, anywhere. Google us, go to Twitter and find the links. We are all over the place. Please find us, please subscribe, and we will talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, take it easy, guys. <laughs>